You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ascp.com/podcasts. ASCP: Empowering Pharmacists, Transforming Aging. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio. I'm Dr. Jaren Stout. And I am Dr. Joanne Pio. We are your hosts of Senior Rx Radio. Today's guest is Dr. Carrie Lalonde with RX Genomics. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jaren, and thank you, Joanne, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. So, Joanne, I've spoken with you in the past about your journey, but I was just hoping you would just take a, a moment here to explain to our listeners how your career has evolved, how you got into pharmacogenomics, and maybe some of your background prior to that. Some of my background prior to that, I have always known that at some point in time, genetics and medicine were going to play a role. We can go all the way back to when I was 18. I mean, I'm 45 now, so I'm going to eat. So I'll tell you all. When I was 18, I was sitting in a doctor's office and this lovely young lady comes out and she's in a white coat and she says, hi, I'm an intern or resident. And you know, you're getting your blood taken. Is it okay if we take a sample of your blood and use it for this research that we're doing? And I said, sure. What, what kind of research? And she said, well, we're going to be collecting your genetic data for it's called the Human Genome Project. And I said, oh, wow, that's really cool. I said, you know, is my name going to be attached to it? And she goes, no, 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 no. There's no, no, your name's not attached to it. I said, wow, that's great. I was 18 years old. Okay, again, I'm 45. So that tells you how long ago that it even came into my life that I started thinking about genetics and individuals and eventually going through high school, well, we passed high school, but going through college and eventually just going through the different roles in my life and with regards to family and illness and medications, I started thinking, you know what, there's got to be something here. There is no other explanation why John Doe down the street can take X medication, but Jane Jones can't. There's no other reason besides it has to be some way, somewhere it has to be genetically based. And eventually throughout my course of my life, I found that pharmacy was going to be my calling. And pharmacogenomics was really and truly what I wanted to do. In fact, the professor that interviewed me for pharmacy school was the professor for the pharmacogenomics program. So when I got in there and I started telling him, you know, my dreams and my passion that I can see where we will be eventually prescribing meds based upon a person's DNA. It was amazing because he's like, yeah, absolutely. This is what I teach. I can't wait to teach you this. You know, it was an elective. Which, of course, led to, you know, graduating. And I am a new pharmacist, per se. I was graduated in 2017. And, and I apologize. You may hear my dog in the background. Graduated in 2017. Started the PRN work as a retail pharmacist in a compounding chain here in Austin. A great experience. Taught me real fast that retail is not my world. I'm not built for that. Um, what I am built for, though, is, is clinical pharmacy. And from that standpoint, genomics is the closest thing to personalized medicine that I could ever get to, but I had to get there. And how I got there was through a salesperson. His name is, his name is Mike Dearman. He called me from RX Genomics one day and, and I was doing long-term care consulting at the time. I, I shifted gears and I said, you know what? Okay, if retail is not my world, what else am I going to do? And um, started looking for a new position, wound up in the long-term care consulting space. And as you all know, long-term care consulting is phenomenal. It's amazing. It's a lot of compliance. It's a lot of regulatory. But I really wanted to help my patients 
on a much higher level. So when Mike Dearman with Rx Genomics called me up and he says, hey, I got this product per se, I'd like you to take a look at and would you be interested? And I said, yeah, sure. Give me some of your PowerPoint. I'll take a look at it. And I went through, it was probably about 10, 15 slides. And I sat back and thought about it and I thought, hmm, okay. Called him back and I said, so Mike, question. How did you get everything I've been thinking about for the last 10 years into a PowerPoint presentation without me knowing about it? No joke. That was my conversation with him. I never forget it. And he's like, Carrie, what are you talking about? I said, I've been thinking about drugs and genes and that marriage and how do we, how do we get that? How do we get to that point where we can actually put it into practice, how we can implement it, how we can make it an effective tool for us as pharmacists and as clinicians to utilize, to optimize patient health. And he says, hmm. He's like, so that mean you're joining? And I said, yeah, here's my credit card. <laughs> Forgot to ask him how much everything was, which at that point in time, I mean, and still to this day, it's not very expensive in terms of, in terms of the grand scheme of things. But, you know, that's how I got started into with RX Genomics and started mentoring and training pharmacists once I started implementing PGX into the long-term care space. Started with a small pilot of 36 patients in a home and was rounding with practitioners and was rounding with psychiatrists and PAs and all that good stuff. So, and they, they loved it. So that was part of it. So that's kind of my, okay. I guess it's a long version. Yeah. So I, I was not aware of the, the seed being planted when you were 18. That's, that's a really cool story, actually. And, you know, I, at that time, I was probably 16, which means Joanne, I, my co-host, I'm not even sure if she was born yet. So <laughs> a lot of math there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I will throw age in there every once in a while. So just to, well, everybody's like, oh my God, you're a new pharmacist. You graduated in 2017. Yeah, but I lived some life before then. So I'm, I'm good. Well, if it makes you feel good, I graduated in 2019. So we're in the same boat. Congratulations. And you know what? Congratulations on your successes then. I mean, to be hosting this podcast for ASCP is, is amazing. Um, Thank you, know, you so much. You and Jaren together. Yeah. And I loved what you said in your explanation that sometimes things just work out. You've been thinking about this for the like the past 10 years and all of a sudden in this one PowerPoint presentation, it's just it just happened. Yep, it did. It was here it is. Okay, well, we have what you want. And so luckily now I'm actually living my dream career. I mean, people think I'm I'm kidding. They're like, well, no, seriously, really. And I'm like, no, seriously, I'm I'm living my dream career. This is wow. What I want to do, which is what I've wanted to do on every level. That's great. Not many can say that. So I just, I really hope that maybe, probably not through this podcast solely, but that in general, our pharmacists and our, our consultant pharmacists and our clinicians out there, you can't really anymore go anywhere in our field any longer and not see pharmacogenomics. It's everywhere. And when I got involved over three years ago, it wasn't quite everywhere yet. I think ASCP maybe had a, there was a conference and they presented it from the FDA standpoint. There was a lot of gray area there. And so they weren't real supportive of it. But now they're like, oh, here's a bunch of biomarkers. And you know what? Let's put all this out here and let's start doing some drug labeling for um, pharmacogenomics. And let's make sure that we're identifying CYP2D6 and CYP2C9 and CYP2C19. My hope is that eventually they will all start collaborating, being CPIC, FDA, Dutch Work Group all these other groups that are out there and, and let's get everybody on the same table and let's get everybody communicating so that we can have one standard set of information and, you know, make it more consistent. So it's more understandable, more for the pharmacist to be able to consult because we're the drug experts. We're the ones who have to do this. 
Well said. So that being said, how can a pharmacist start the process of being involved with Rx Genomics? Like, can you explain the process for beginning to end? Sure, absolutely. The best way to start in pharmacogenomics is to take a class and take a course. Rx Genomics, you know, we work with David Kaiser and Banas Sarami, and there was a couple other individuals involved. We developed, initially developed our own 16-hour CE course, which over the course of the last three years, we determined was probably too much that we could skinny it down to eight hours because our pharmacogenomics is something that you have to learn in practice. You need the foundations. You got to understand, you know, here's your SIP enzymes, here's your pharmacokinetics, here's your pharmacodynamics, you know, here's how everything kind of plays in the, that scope altogether. But once you get the basics of it, you really don't learn about it until you're actually working with the gene panel that you're that you're going to be working with and with your patients. DNA, we all know. It's, I mean, yes, DNA is the same base pairs across the board. However, how those base pairs interact and what the uh, phenotypic and, and implication, what the phenotypic results are for all of those varies by individual. And we're all just such, and I hate to say, but we are, we're all a mixed bag of some sort or another. And that's where the pharmacist and the trained pharmacist comes into play. And that's why I'm saying, go take a course, whether it's the Rx Genomics 8-hour CE through CEI Impact. Maybe you want to go super extensive and you want to take, you know, Mayo Clinics. Mayo Clinic has a really, really extensive course. You can go to the University of Florida and you can take, a, you know, you can enroll with the University of Florida and take some courses that way as well. But, you know, there's options out there. Of course, I'm with Rx Genomics, so I'm going to say, you know, your eight-hour CE for $299 is, is your most cost-effective approach, but I leave that to everybody else to find their happy place when it comes to education. So that's the starting point. Once you've taken your course, you can opt to partner with Rx Genomics. Partnering with us gives you access to the clinical support. It also gives you access to our business development side, helps implementation of pharmacogenomics into your practice. We have a lot of experience in the long-term care space, in the general consulting space. We partner with labs. We are lab agnostic, so we have multiple labs. So if we have to pivot from one lab to another, we try to make it as seamless as possible. And that, that happens on occasion because either A, you know, labs are labs can be fickle sometimes. They're fabulous, but they can be fickle. And so, you know, we have to be able to make sure that our that our partners are well taken care of. And that is one of those things that we absolutely do all the time. So that is the essence of how do you get started. Okay, so that's great. So once you're all set and then started with Rx Genomics, what are some great tips? How does a pharmacist select an, an ideal patient for testing services? And what are some, some of the tips and tricks to help get physicians on board with this service? So selecting patients has actually gotten a whole lot easier. First and foremost, you know, there's a couple of hard and fast rules, okay? Behavioral health is the best use case for pharmacogenomics still to this day followed by cardiology, pain management, and then we're really starting getting into a little bit of rheumatoid and we've got HIV and then we've also got cancer medications as well. So those are all really good starting points. But in clinical practice, when we're talking about being out in the community, really and truly a focus on behavioral health, especially in our long-term care space is where we really want to start. So think about your patients who are on either multiple antidepressants, maybe they're on just polypharm as far as antidepressants, antipsychotic, anti-anxiety. And then you've got, you know, let's throw in some lithium, let's throw in some anti-seizure meds for behavior control. So all of this combined, and we can look at this from the pharmacogenomic standpoint and really help to pare that down 
to find the best medication. So that's your starting point as far as identifying your patients are concerned. If you are in the long-term care space, of course, talk to your medical director, talk to your, you know, try to round, see if you can round with the, with the psychiatrist or the, you know, the nurse practitioner or PA, whoever's treating those patients at that level and writing those prescriptions. Talk to your medical director. Talk to the, the person who's involved in the admissions. Pharmacogenomics is really unique because it can give those facilities and locations kind of a one-up on everybody else, right? You have a new, you have a value-added service there. We are really and truly concerned about your patient's well-being or your family member's well-being first and foremost. So that's kind of how you identify your patients. When you start talking to your practitioners, um, again, you want to talk to them about behavioral health and you want to start talking to them about revenues, okay? As a pharmacist, they may not realize it, but since most third-party payers are now on the quality versus quantity reimbursement model, if they're continuing to see patients a month on a month out, guess what? Their reimbursements are going lower and lower and lower. As a genomic pharmacist, you now have the ability to help those practitioners get reimbursed at a higher level because you're helping them to manage those medications utilizing their genetic data. So you're putting them on the best meds so they don't have to see them month after month. Now they're getting to see them every six months or every 12 months. They're well-managed. Now the practitioner can see more patients at a higher reimbursement level. So it, while it may not be a direct revenue immediately, it's an indirect. And that is definitely a great point to make with a lot of these healthcare providers. Yeah, always go with quality because that's kind of the push from CMS these days. It is. And quality is, is, you know, quality of care, personalized medicine is all about quality of care. And then what kind of obstacles are encountered on the insurance side? So the obstacles that are currently encountered on the insurance side are because not everybody sees the validity of it yet. They don't see the science. They don't see the research. They don't think, they don't believe that there's enough behind it when actually there is more than enough behind it. And well, in my opinion, I'm biased from, from that standpoint because I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I mean, I see it firsthand almost every single day when I talk to a patient and, you know, or they come back to me and tell me, hey, here, you know what? The recommendation you made, I'm living my best life now. It was, you know, one or two minor changes and, and now it's, I feel amazing. And so sadly, you know, the, 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 the bureaucratic aspects of many large corporations and they have to go through all of these review panels and do all of these different things you know, makes it very challenging for them to come together and, and eventually say, hey, this is something we need to pay for. Now, United Healthcare, completely different story. What they did is they utilized, and I know, you know, GeneSight did a study and they utilized Gene study and it showed a $6,000, approximately $6,000 per person savings per annum, per year, just in behavioral health alone. So United Healthcare, their commercial will pay for pharmacogenomic testing in that space for that sole purpose. They're like, hey, we're saving six grand a year on each of these behavioral health patients. Heck yeah. Wow. You know, we're going to pay for this test. And when they started it, the tests were 12000 some odd dollars, um, I would guess. And now they're, they're significantly lower. So yeah, so I mean, you have cost savings. But eventually, all of these areas are starting to come around. CMS is coming around as well. They've expanded their their genetic panels. So they're actually paying for comprehensive panels more than they're paying for single gene panels. So that shows you right there that they are beginning to understand that something like uh, CYP2C19, you know, it doesn't just affect 
behavioral health into telegram. It also looks at Plavix. Guess what? Now you've combined behavioral health and cardiology. And so segmenting panels is, is not always the best idea. So that's where, the, I mean, that's some of where the challenges are. And that's where a lot of the growth is beginning to come from. CMS is initiating a lot of this growth and I, I commend them for that really and truly. Interesting. And then what if a patient's insurance company doesn't cover it? Can the patient pay out of pocket? Absolutely. So there's always the option for a cash pay. Sometimes that's the easiest options for patients simply because you don't have to wait. You don't have to get a prior off from your doc. You know, cash pay through Arx Genomics is $429 per cash pay patient. So that covers the cost of not only the test, but it also covers the initial consultation with the prescriber as well as with the patient. We are a direct to provider concept more than a direct to consumer concept. So while a patient can come to us and they can say, hey, you know, Dr. Lalonde, I really want to have this done. I can say that's awesome. And I can walk them through the whole process. We can do the swab. We can collect the data and produce the results. And I will call the patient, let them know, hey, your results have been ready. However, I have to speak to your doctor about the recommendations simply because that's the prescriber. I don't want prescribing authority and I can't change a medication. I can't change a prescription. So I talk to the doctors first. And so we are all on the same page. So when we go back to the patient, we say, you know, Jane Doe wanted to let you know that talk to your prescriber and we think that we're going to be changing your antidepressant from sertraline to Wellbutrin simply because maybe the sertraline is not the most effective medication for you. You've indicated it's not working well, you know, so on and so forth. And this is what we would like to do. How do you feel about this change? And having that conversation in both directions is very, very important to us. And then what about patients who are not able to do the cash pay? Are there like any patient assistance programs for them? There are no patient assistance programs at this time. However, there are opportunities for pharmacists who are, who are looking at the concierge side of pharmacy to offer maybe a subscription or a membership option. So a lot of our pharmacists and pharmacies operate in a demographic population that is, you know, underserved. And what they'll do is they'll say, okay, we have this, you know, we have a clinical services package that's available. Membership fee is an initial, you know, $100 or $50. And then it's $24.99 a month after that. And then what happens is in the cash pay model from the RX genomics standpoint is that we then just build a pharmacy for that flat, you know, we have a flat fee that we build a pharmacy. We want all of our pharmacists and part of our, part of our values are that not only are patient outcomes optimized, but we want our pharmacists to get paid for their time. That is so, so important to us because so many of us give away what we know for free. We worked so hard. And we spent so much money to go out to get our education. And then we, what do we do? We, we, we go and we give it away for free, essentially. So having our pharmacists and having our pharmacies get paid for their time is really important. So we have a flat fee that is below the 429 to make sure that our pharmacists and our pharmacies can collect a, um, what we call a consultative fee. So how you present that to the lower demographic is going to be dependent upon the different options available. So if you want to say, okay, it's $24.99 a month per month for one year, for two years, 18 months, whatever it is. And in that clinical services package, maybe you're offering, you know, immunizations, maybe you're offering 10% off nutraceuticals, whatever it is that makes it a value add is definitely something that people are looking for. Absolutely. Well said. I know that there was the uh, ASCP forum that I attended in 
April 2019. I believe that's the last form we had because of the pandemic, but I think it was Brad Tice was speaking at it and he, he touched on RX Genomics and I had already heard of it from a friend and I was trying to take the class at that point. But hearing him talk about it made me take it a little more seriously. He said that for pharmacists, this is our turf. This is what we should be doing. We have to grab this opportunity, this mantle, and, and just take it. This is our opportunity to shine and to make a difference in healthcare as, as pharmacists. Taking the mantle of pharmacogenetic counseling and following patients in that regard. And I totally agree with that. And I will say that taking the class and then running a few tests is the first few tests are actually really fun because you have to start digging and then finding out the metabolic pathways. And you start to remember all this stuff from pharmacy school. And I remember you see that somebody under metabolizes something and you automatically just assume, oh, that means they don't get enough of it. But, you know, it depends on if they metabolize it into a more active metabolite like Losartan or several of the pain meds. And then you start to realize what kind of impact that plays and how you interpret it is based strictly on how that drug is metabolized, what is more long acting, the metabolite or the original product. And for that, it's been a lot of fun. And then to talk with providers and to talk with patients about this this fun new technology and getting everyone on the same page. It is a great experience and it's a great opportunity for pharmacists to, to increase their services and their revenue at the same time and put ourselves in the spotlight in this field. So, so I, I thought it was interesting. You said one of the things that you uh, emphasize uh, first and foremost is the mental health field. And for me, that's been kind of hard because I feel like Mental health is such a subjective measure that even when we make a pharmacological difference, it still depends on whether or not the patient actually notices a difference. So two questions. First of all, for the hyperhomocysteinemia, have you seen a lot of benefits in addressing that? Because I've had three of them so far, and I put them on the, the, the methylfolate supplement, and really none, none of them have really panned out or made a difference yet. So that's my first question is, have you noticed any difference when we notice that genetic abnormality and addressing that with the methylfolate? Well, first, let me say thank you very much for, for mentioning Dr. Tice, because he is the the owner and the founder oh, yeah. of RX Genomics. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And and he's an amazing individual. He's the past president of APHA. And when he gets up there, he's so passionate about pharmacogenomics. It's it's incredible when you get to when you get the opportunity to stand up and hear him speak at an event. You can, you can just see it, and you can see it in his eyes. You can hear it in his voice. It, it's just incredible. So thank you very much for bringing that up and um, and mentioning him. To answer your question directly, so the MTHFR gene, that, that is a modification. I believe it's a, a G to a T. Is, is it G to a T or G to an A? My apologies. But it's there's two specific changes that happen at that location on the gene. And they actually produce two different results, which have different implications. The hyperhomocysteinemia in relationship to depression and the methylfolate is supposed to be utilized as an adjunct to antidepressant medications. Or it can be a precursor in something that can be utilized to identify patients who may be suffering from depression, and maybe they just don't realize that they're suffering from depression because their folic acid levels are lowered because they're not metabolizing folic acid to that methylfolate, and it's not being able to be utilized by the body. 
So that's one issue. So have I seen a direct benefit from it? No, I typically just, if I advise somebody to start some methylfolate, I don't go back. They don't come back to me and say, hey, Carrie, you know what? Yeah, I feel great. Simply because it is, it is an adjunct to that antidepressant medication. Okay. Well, that's interesting because for me, I did because they were all three family members. So, <laughs> but yeah, I can, I can see how you typically wouldn't, you know, hear back a whole lot on that. And last of all, just give us your, your best success story. What is like the one thing that's happened that was really an eye opener that really made you thrilled and maybe just your biggest success story? What, what's your best one? Oh, well, I can, that's easy because my best one is actually one of my first ones, which was in that initial pilot of 36 patients at a long-term care facility here in the Austin area. There was a gentleman and he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and his guardian wanted to basically put him on hospice for a failure to thrive. And I told, and I was talking to a psychiatrist at the time and I said, listen, I was like, you know what, can we add him to our list? He may, you know, may not pay for it. You know, can we add him? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and do it. So sure enough, at that point in time, he was on long-acting Abilify. He had been on long-acting Risperidol. He had started having extensive delusions. His behaviors had gotten worse instead of they initially got better, but then they extensively, they got much worse and worse and worse. So they figured they would switch him from one to the other and they continued to get worse. And so they agreed. And when we got back his genetic results, lo and behold, he was a CYP2D6 poor metabolizer. What you may not know is that Risperdal and Aripiprazole both need the CYP2D6 enzyme to metabolize to the inactive metabolites before being flushed out of the body. And while this gentleman was not very old, he was in his early to mid-60s, those behaviors wound up being as a result of having toxic levels of the medication. Or Okay, they weren't proven to be toxic. Okay, I have to qualify that. We never did blood tests. Facility where he was at wasn't that there's a cost associated with pulling blood levels for certain medications. And so we never verified that that was the case. However, what I did was the research to find out, you know, what was the half-life? How long was it going to take to get this medication out of his system? You know, and it wound up being about 16 weeks to get him down to what we would think would be, quote unquote, normal levels. And so we took him off the meds and we had a patient care meeting 16 weeks later. And he no longer qualified as a failure to thrive. He had started walking down the halls without having to hold the rails. He wanted to get his eyes looked at. He was ready to get his hearing checked. He was wearing his hearing aids again. He wanted the batteries replaced. He shifted from one end to the other. While he was still having delusions, his behaviors had stopped and he could recognize the difference between what was real and what wasn't. And that is by far my biggest success story within the long-term care space. I still stop by every once in a while and check in on him and he's doing great. Yeah, he has had to go back on an antipsychotic to control certain things. However, it has been at the lowest dose. We know what med to put him on and he's doing great. He is now, instead of being failure thrive, he's thriving, which is awesome. He's living his best life. And while you know, we have to remember, we may not consider being in a nursing home and, and, and in that situation, that being our best life. But for this gentleman, he is living his best life. So, wow. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, making sure that patients are living their best lives. So thank you so much for coming on today's show and just explaining to us the process and how patients can become involved. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And those of you who are out there, if you're listening, um, you want to reach me, you know, you can reach me at Rx Genomics. My contact information, I'm sure will be shared through the podcast, but you can also reach me at C Lalonde, which is L-A-L-A-N-D-E at rxgenomics.com. 
genomics spelled M-I-X at the end.com. And again, you know, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach out to Dr. Jaron Stout. He is also with Rx Genomics. He's one of our pharmacist partners and he's absolutely incredible. So he can give you more real life stories in the field as to how he is implementing and his successes and um, even some of the struggles and how do we overcome some of those struggles together. So definitely, you know, please reach out to us. We're here to help. We want to see you be successful. We want our patients to live their optimal lives. And that's where it comes down to. Absolutely. You're listening to Senior Rx Radio, brought to you by ASCP. Visit us online at ASCP.com slash podcasts. ASCP, empowering pharmacists, transforming aging.